Psalm 95, beginning in verse 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the day of provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. You are well aware that I do not normally preach special occasion messages. Now, I may at Christmas time because that sort of lends itself to a special occasion, and Easter time lends itself, but, you know, Mother's Day and Father's Day and all the other days that we can find special occasions, I usually don't have a message for that special occasion, but I do today. This coming Thursday, of course, is Thanksgiving Day. And so I've just felt led to preach about thanksgiving and praising God in this message today. On Thursday, we will experience, we will practice, we will carry out a tradition that's just about as old as this nation is. Now, what you're about to hear, especially for our young people, what you're about to hear, you probably will not hear in the public schools these days. You know, we've wanted to take God out of our society. We've taken him out of the schools, and we want to take him out of every other part of our society. I don't know. I heard one time they're not teaching American history in school anymore. I don't know if that's accurate or not. Well, I hope they're not refusing to teach history because the history of this nation, if you, if you teach the real history of this nation, God's in the middle of it. Amen. 1621 was a terrible year in which half of those who had come to this country, half of them had died of starvation and disease. And so in December of that year, the pilgrims set aside three days to praise God and to thank him because they had had a bountiful corn harvest. Later on in 1789, President George Washington proclaimed November 26th as the national day of thanksgiving to the Lord. Now, sometime between Washington and Lincoln, that day sort of disappeared. And so in 1863, Abraham Lincoln revived the tradition of rendering thanks to the Lord. Now, the point of all of this is to say that when there are those who say that God had no part in the founding of this country, and this country was not founded on Christian principles, folks, they're not telling the truth. Amen. In fact, I've read that George Washington came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Too bad we don't have more presidents that know Christ as Savior. In 1941, the United States Congress decreed that the fourth Thursday in November was to be a national day of thanksgiving unto the Lord. And so this holiday that's coming up has a place in our nation's history, but it also has a place coming from the Word of God in thanking God and in recognizing God. 
Now, sadly for many, Thursday is just going to be a day when the family gets together. That's all it is to some. Ah, oh, we'll eat too much, and we'll complain about eating too much. Some will sit down and they'll watch football on television. But probably one of the most important things to the people who will be together and enjoying Thursday is, I don't have to go to work today. And so that's why they look forward to Thanksgiving. I hope it means more than that to us. I hope as Thursday comes, we're not just saying, oh, I don't have to go to work. I get to watch football. I get to eat too much. But we'll actually think about thanking God for everything that he's done for us. But it shouldn't be just on Thursday, okay? You know, every day of our lives ought to be a day of thanksgiving to the Lord. Amen. We ought to be appreciating what he has done for us. I was listening to the Sunday school class. I hope I was this morning. Brother Truman had read that verse and in, I think it was one in Psalms. I can't remember which one. We've read many, many verses. If you want to study the Bible, come into our Sunday school class because we do study the Bible there. But that verse that talks about how God sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. Listen, even those who don't know Christ as Savior get blessings from God. And if you could think of no other blessing, he lets them live one more day to give them one more opportunity to come to know Christ as Savior. And so we need to thank God for all of his blessings. In fact, what the word of God says is that we need to be thankful in everything in our lives. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 says it this way, in everything, that means in the midst of everything, okay, it doesn't, doesn't mean we're going to be thankful for everything, does it? Certainly we wouldn't be thankful for a tragedy. Certainly we wouldn't be thankful for losing a loved one. But in the midst of all of this, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so we can find in everything a reason to thank God. And we ought not to be guilty of allowing our thanks to wait until one day out of the year in November where we say, oh, well, it's Thanksgiving. It's time to thank God. See, I'm afraid that we as Americans tend to be an ungrateful people many times. You know, we expect a lot. And when we get it, we don't even thank God for it. Children are ungrateful to parents. People are ungrateful to one another. God's people many times are ungrateful to him. You want me to be honest? I came in this morning and I looked at the crowd. You have folks away and, and I almost got a little grumpy. Uh-oh, right? Now thank God for who's here, okay? And so we ought to thank God for everything that he does for us. And thankfully, there are verses of Scripture like here in the 95th Psalm that not only tell us to thank God, but challenge us. They issue a call to us to thank God for everything that he does. You know, the 95th Psalm is a part of a series of psalms about the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about his coronation as king, and he's coming back, and he's going to sit on the throne, and he is going to rule over all the earth. Now, some have suggested that the keynote for all of these psalms is in Psalm 93, verse 1, the Lord reigneth, he is clothed with majesty, the Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also is established that it cannot be moved, thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. And so, according to tradition, these psalms were read at the dedication of the second temple. 
and again, it points out the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has its setting in the millennial kingdom of Jesus. What's the millennial kingdom going to be like? The world's going to be filled with his righteousness. You know, we look around today, there's not a lot of righteousness in our world. But one of these days, this world is going to be filled with righteousness. And all men everywhere are going to be praising the name of God. They're going to be praising the name of the Lord. The Lord's praises are going to fill the earth. It's a time when the glory of God will fully fill this entire earth. And you know what? Here's a woo factor. I mean a woo factor, okay? Because we know Christ as Savior, we get to be a part of that. The scripture says we'll rule and reign with him. So we're going to look at this 95th Psalm, especially the first seven verses, and we're going to see, first of all, the invitation to enter the presence of the Lord. The invitation to enter the presence of the Lord. The psalm begins by issuing that invitation. It tells us how to come before God. It says, come with thanksgiving, and it tells us to come with praise. Nothing brings us into the presence of God like lifting up the name of God, Amen. like lifting up the name of of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Psalm 22, 3 says, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. God inhabits, he dwells in, he settled down in the praises of his people. And so every time we come together, we ought to praise God. We just ought to thank God. But he talks about in this psalm, the praise that brings us into the presence of God. And first of all, it is a shouting praise. It's a shouting praise. Look at verse 1. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Verse 2. Make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. Make a joyful noise comes from a Hebrew word which means to shout. Okay? I don't think the Lord intended for his people to come together and worship him by being real quiet and real meek and real mouse-like, you know, so that nobody hears. I've thought about and we've discussed from time to time and I may be getting this all out of order but from time to time on one of these nice fall mornings setting up chairs in the parking lot and having an outdoor worship service. Amen. Now I don't know, you know, there's not a lot of folks that want to hear the praise of God today so we might have the neighbors calling in and complaining that we're making too much noise but from what I've seen on Sunday mornings when we come in here on Saturday nights, they apparently make a lot of noise next door also. So uh, we just ought to sing and shout and praise the Lord. The reason Brother Rick said what he did, and I appreciate a deacon that takes care of his pastor. Before we sang that song, he said it's got shout in it twice at the very beginning. Brother Tim brought and Sister Therese brought us a practice that I like. Whenever the word shout is in a song, instead of just singing shout, we shout. Because we ought to shout unto the Lord. We ought to praise the Lord. And so it says, come to the Lord, come before him and make a joyful noise or shout. And notice that it's used twice right here. Shout, shout praises unto God. I said we don't hear a lot of vocal praise of God today. You know, there are people who, something will happen, they'll say, oh my God. That's not praising God. That's a shout of astonishment or a phrase of astonishment. They're texting, they'll put OMG. I actually think that's taking God's name in vain. It's using it not the way it's supposed to be used. But there are people today who even use God's name as a curse word. They want God to condemn somebody. 
And so they just say curse words. Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. Be careful how you use God's name. God's name is holy. And we ought not to take God's name casually. Do you know that a church can take God's name in vain? And the church says, we're a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they get so worldly you couldn't tell them from one of the world's churches. That's taking God's name in vain. We need to be careful how we deal with the name of God. Name talks about authority. See, if I send you somewhere or ask you to go somewhere and, you know, I give you a check and I write it out to cash but I sign my name at the bottom of it and you take it to the bank, you know what? They're going to give you the money. Uh, whatever amounts on that check. Why? Because I have put my authority there for you to take that to the bank and get money for that check. And so name talks about authority. And again, when a church claims to operate in the name of God, but they don't adhere to the word of God, they're misusing God's name. They're misusing his authority. True vocal verbal praise of God, folks, is still in fashion in God's economy. It may not be in our world today, but it is in God's economy. When we verbally, even publicly, declare our praise for God, folks, it glorifies His name. We're lifting up the name of God. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. May God give us a shout in a soul that expresses this praise of God. Psalm 47 verse 1, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Because we know that in the end, we're the victors, right? That ought to cause us to shout. In fact, that ought to cause us to shout amen, shouldn't it? Oh, boy, that was weak. <laughs> Woo! That ought to cause us to shout amen. amen. Thank you. You know, sometimes trying to get God's people stirred up on a Sunday morning is like, well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I pastored one church that had a cemetery around it, and we'd have to walk through that cemetery to go to the parsonage. And somebody asked me, did it bother me? I said, I'd never hear a sound out of them. It doesn't bother me. And sometimes I think we're afraid to make, we're, we're about like that group of folks. We just don't want to make any sound on a Sunday morning. Here's where I think some of that comes from. In the church that I grew up in, it had a basement, and it had, you know, upstairs, sanctuary upstairs, and down in the basement was where the kids went. And there was a sign down there that said, shh, this is God's house. We let our feet fall lightly, and we're quiet in God's house. And I think some of us adults grew up with that, and we think, well, I need to be quiet in God's house. Amen. Shout praises to God. Glorify God. Not only is it a shouting praise, it's a singing praise. Look at verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing unto the Lord. The word sing here talks about making a ringing cry. People say, well, I don't want to sing or I don't sing loudly because I can't really hit every note. Don't worry about that. Amen. Don't worry about the person sitting next to you. If they judge you for your singing, they're wrong. Amen. Who are you singing to? You singing to them or you singing to God? And let me tell you, if the heart is right when we sing these songs of praise to God, God loves it. Amen. Glorify God. A.G. Clark suggests in verses 1 and 2, it's a striking picture of joyous tumult. The temple's been rebuilt. Now, you read in Ezra, 
there were some of the older folks who had seen the original temple that had been destroyed and now the new temple's rebuilt and it's not quite what the old temple was and some of them just wept. Oh man, this thing's not like the original. No, but God gave you a temple, okay? God allowed you to rebuild it. And the young ones who saw it, they shouted and said you couldn't tell the difference between the shouting and the crying. Some of the crying, I guess, was so loud, but the shouting needed to be loud and overrule the crying. He said it's a striking picture of joyous tumult. Now I pray this doesn't happen, but if this building were to burn down and then God allowed us to rebuild it, I think we'd come in here and shout a little bit that God had allowed us to rebuild this building. Amen. Okay? Shrill cries of joy. Loud shouts of praise, songs with musical accompaniment. You know, there's some folks who think, well, you shouldn't have one of those or one of those. But what does the Word of God say? What are the Psalms? Psalms were songs that were written to be accompanied with music. Okay? And so, again, it's musical accompaniment. I've seen folks show more joy and make more noise at a high school football game when their team won than God's people do on a Sunday morning. Amen. I bet you couldn't give me the scores of any of our high school's football games last year. Anybody remember last year's football games? And I, no. But we worship God every day. Lifting our souls to the Lord through a song is a great way to bless his name and to exalt him. We're instructed to sing songs of praise. Psalm 68, verse 32. Sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth. O sing praises unto the Lord. Selah. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. David describes that with his salvation and with ours came a new song. Listen. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my heart. That's what we need to get. I'm sorry, in my mouth, but it's, you know, it's coming out your mouth. It's got to be in your heart, right? He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust the Lord. And you know why a lot of people don't fear and trust the Lord today? It's because God's people are just as, I'll make it nice, okay, just as down in the mouth as the rest of the world is. Complaining, griping, nothing's ever good enough, right? Praise God and shout your praise, all right? If you're saved, God has lifted you out of the miry clay. He has lifted you out of the pit. And he has put your feet on the rock. Amen. Okay, on the rock of Jesus Christ. That's something to shout about. And he deserves for us to sing and to sing loudly and to praise his name. Amen. We should never hesitate to lift the songs of praise that are in our. I hope you have a song of praise in your heart. You know, I know when people sing specials, I'm supposed to be quiet and listen. I can't be quiet. And I love these songs, and especially the one they did this morning. Our glory and the cross. <laughs> you know, there's some churches and some preachers say, we don't want a cross in our building. Jesus died on that cross. Well, I'm thankful that he did. Amen. And so we ought to sing about the cross. We ought to love the cross. We should never hesitate to lift songs of praise to the Lord. Don't be afraid of, I said, of what somebody else says, what the world says. 
even if the world ridicules you for your singing praises to God. Don't be afraid of that. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. We'll get to this eventually on Sunday nights. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. When we stand up, when we sing songs of praise, we witness of the Lord, we stand up for Jesus Christ, you know, and the world ridicules us, we're just in the company of people like Jeremiah and Isaiah you know some of those Old Testament prophets that's what he's saying and what does he say to do when that happens well he says rejoice and somebody said a very loose translation of that 12th verse is this when you're persecuted for the cause of Christ just go home and giggle all night long amen. I praise God and the world didn't like it amen All right. and then enter with a serving praise the end of verse 7 through verse 11. It's instruction. It's encouragement not to rebel against God the way those Israelites did when they came to Kadesh Barnea. Now, just think of what had happened. God had brought them out of Egypt. He had drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Every time they needed food or drink, God supplied it from them. They had seen God take care of them, and they come up to Kadesh Barnea, and because ten men say, well, there's giants in the land, we can't beat them. They say, well, we won't go in. We'll just make us a captain other than Moses that will lead us back to Egypt. And God says, you're not going to do that. And they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Psalm 100 verse 2 says what? Serve the Lord how? Well, i got to go to church today. No, serve the Lord with gladness. Rejoice, be thankful. Gladness talks about glee. It comes from a word that talks about joyfulness. Serving God ought to be a joy to us. Going to church ought to be a joy to us. Not I have to go to church, I get to go to church. In fact, in other places in the King James, this word gladness is translated mirth, pleasure, rejoicing. Amen. You realize you're in the presence of God this morning. Amen. If you don't realize that, Either something's wrong with us or something's wrong with you. <laughs> I'm sorry to be so plain, but that's the way it is. Amen. And I believe the Lord's present in this service today. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 tells us this. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden to be borne. The love of God will cause us to serve Him, to want to serve Him, and will cause us to enjoy serving Him. I enjoy doing things for my wife. Why? Well, I love her. And most of the time, <laughs> when she says, Jim, would you do something for me? I'm willing to say, well, what is it? Okay. <laughs> or the majority of the time, hopefully, I will say, yes, I will. All right? Why? Again, because I love her. She does the same for me. You know, I was sitting there the other night, and I said, I had our dear Cornelius in the chair beside me, and I said, boy, I really want something to drink, but if I get up, he's going to get up. And she said, well, I'll get you something to drink. Why? Because we love each other. And if you love God, you, you will enjoy doing things for God, serving God. Serving God's a blessed privilege. It's not a chore. And I want to ask you to do me one favor. When you come in here on a Sunday morning, come in with a smile on your face. Amen. Don't come in looking like you're going to a funeral or an execution. Come in looking like I 
get to come to church today. Our obedience is an expression of worship unto the Lord. In fact, the words worship and service go hand in hand. You can't worship God without serving him. You can't serve God without worshiping. Okay? They're almost synonyms. And when you consider that Jesus tells us that we show our love by obedience, it becomes clear. What did he say? He said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So first of all, he tells us how to come into the presence of God. And then there's the declaration that expresses his power in verses 3 through 5. We're talking about reasons to thank God. Reasons to praise God. And it involves his person and his power. Every truth we learn about the person of God, and that's what we're studying in Sunday school right now. We're studying about the person of God. Every truth we learn about the person of God ought to just give us another reason to praise God. Amen. To glorify God. And may God help us reach the place where we fail to be amazed. Just knows God so well and his person and his power so well that we fail to be amazed when God acts in our lives. This is what I expected of God. Let me tell you a story. By the way, if you want to look at it, we now have a floor covering in the pastor's office. We're getting there. Joni sends me a text. She's the one who went and picked up, and I don't even know why. I let her do it, but I didn't do it, but she went and picked up the flooring. The guys at the big box center, you know, where we got it, not going to give them a plug, loaded it for her. She gets up here. She thinks, how are we going to get it out? How am I going to get it out? About that time, Randy pulled up with his helper and they took it out. And she sent me a text. She said, God provides. You know? We, just simple things that happen in our lives and we think, well, that, that's just circumstance. No, that's God taking care of us. Let me give you a word about his person and his power. The psalmist reminds us, first of all, that the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Now, he's not attributing any existence to false gods here. Anything men may call God, God is a great king high above anything men may call God. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, here's what the Apostle Paul said. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. All of these things that people worship. And we talked about some of the idols that people worship. And the most convenient, and I've mentioned this before, the most convenient idol we worship, his name is spelled S-E-L-F. That's what I want to do. Doesn't matter what God says, what God wants, this is what I want to do. We've just worshiped a false God. But God is a great king above all gods. Do you realize that one of these days, Buddha, Mohammed, Confucius, everything that men worship is going to fall down before God. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In verses 4 and 5, the psalmist talks about God's creative power. Psalm 50, 10, I love this verse because it says the cattle on a thousand hills are his. God says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't have to tell you. I'd just take one of them. Everything belongs to God. Everything we think we have belongs to God. Verse 5 reminds me when I read it, what does verse 5 say? The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. <laughs> who made the oceans and who made the land? God did. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. But there's something greater than God's creative power. You know what that is? That's God's recreative power. 
What do you mean God's recreative power? When we were marred by the stains of sin, folks, what did God do? He redeemed us. And He remade us into the image of His dear Son. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. He wants you and me to be like Jesus. To act like Jesus. To think like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold all things are become new. Just the fact that his creation of the world reveals his power ought to give us reason to thank and to glorify God. But then you add to the fact that he has the power to take a hellbound sinner. Just any old hellbound sinner. I don't care. Any old hellbound sinner. God can take him and if that Sinner will repent toward God. And by the way, I shared this on Facebook yesterday. There is no salvation without repentance. Amen. If you're going away from something, you have to repent. That just means turn around. You have to repent to go back toward it. Okay? But God can take any old sinner. If he will repent toward God and trust Jesus Christ, apply the blood of Christ by faith, God can save him and God can clean him up and God can use him in a very wonderful way. A man named Paul is an example of that. He was the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ until he was saved. And God used him to write almost half of the New Testament and establish churches throughout the known world. What about his purchase? It says in verse 7, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. What does that mean? We're God's personal possession. We belong to him. By virtue of the fact that he paid the price, right? People say, well, it's my life. I'll do what I want to do. No, we were sold under sin. Christ came and died for us. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20, Know ye not, and I'm sort of skipping through these two verses, but know ye not that you're not your own, for you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God bought and paid for me. He bought and paid for you if you're saved. And the purchase price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We ought to serve God. There are three words that are translated redeemed in the New Testament. One of them is agorazo. What does it mean? It means to buy in the marketplace. Exagorazo means to take off the market. And lutron means to release after the payment of the purchase price. There's a whole salvation in these three words. Look at this. What did God do? They describe what he's done. He bought us with the blood of Christ. He removed us from sale. I said we had this auction Friday night when Brother Rick said sold. Nobody else could bid. And that's what God did for us. He paid the price. He took us off the sale rack, all right? And he set us free because what's the next one? To take off the market. And then, I love this one. Here's a picture of God's security because we've been taken off the market. We've been sold. We've been bought by somebody else. Satan doesn't have any claim to me. Amen. Satan doesn't have any claim to you. And then it says what? Lutron to release after the payment of the purchase price. What does that mean? That talks about the liberty that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God didn't say I've paid the price for you. Now you're a robot. You have to. 
God says, I'll let you use your will. You can serve me. Or you can choose not to serve me. Now what we do with that will make a difference in our lives. And then a word about his provisions. Verse 7 reminds us we are his flock. And as such we are under the protective oversight of the good shepherd. What does that mean to us? God's made us some promises. You know I made some promises to my children when they were growing up. Brother Truman asked this morning, has any of you ever broken a promise? I thought, ooh, I don't want to answer that one. <laughs> and most of the broken promises were to the children, but I kept some, you know. What, it mean? what has God promised? His presence, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. His peace, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. His provision, Philippians 4, 19. But my God shall supply all your need through his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Presence, peace, provision. That's what we have and so many other things that God has promised to us and they're made up in the words of David in Psalm 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A little girl was trying to say that. She said, Lord my shepherd, I don't need anything else. Right. And folks, that's true. The Lord my shepherd, I, everything that I need is in him. And with these great truths about his power and his person are considered, they give us ample reason to praise him. And one more right quick. The demonstrations that exclaim his praises. Ways, three ways we can express our praise to God. That's what this psalm is talking about. Coming before his presence. First of all, we need to know that we're going to be held accountable for the truths that we have received. I was preaching to one church that was sort of an honorary church one time. I was the pastor. But I told him, I said, you don't like what I'm saying, but it's the truth. And it'll be held as a witness against you one of these days in time of judgment. See, you can't hear the truth and say, oh, I want to ignore it and get away with it. You'll become accountable for the truth that you've heard. So here's what the Word of God is teaching us here in verses 4 and 5. First of all, our praise should be visible. Amen. What do you mean visible? Let people see it. Look at verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing. Let us make a joyful noise or shout. All right? Verse 6. Let us worship and bow down. Verse 6. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. You can't do these activities in a corner where you can't be seen. It's going to be visible. We should not be ashamed to speak praises and worship our Lord. Now, I know there are people that go around and every little thing, they have a flat tire, praise the Lord. They have a wreck, praise the Lord. That's not what he's saying. But we ought to be willing to praise God regardless of who's around us, regardless of who hears us, lifting up the name of God. You know, we'll brag on businesses. Oh, you ought to go to Albertsons, okay? I'm, and, uh, all right, I'm not going to use the other one. You ought to go to Albertsons. They've got good prices. They've got this on sale, that on sale. i got a really good tasting whatever there. We'll brag on books that we've read. We may brag on movies to friends, you know. Oh, you got to see? you got to see that one. We're going to do it with strangers. But we many times are afraid to praise God to anyone. Look what God has done for me. I was amazed the other day, you know, some time ago. I don't know, it, it, it was sometime last year I preached a message, look what God's done for me. Had a download pop up on the, uh, the podcast site day before yesterday. In Nigeria, Lagos, Nigeria, somebody listened to that. 
Look what God's done. I don't even know where Lagos, Nigeria. I know where Nigeria is, but I wouldn't I couldn't go there and preach because I don't know where it is, all right? But God took his word there. Our praise and our worship should never be theatrical in nature, folks. We shouldn't put on a show. Amen. It ought to be real. But there's nothing wrong with genuine visual expressions of praise and glory to God. Amen. But it also ought to be vocal. Look again at what the psalmist says. Make a joyful noise. Shout! Sing! You can't do that in silence. <laughs> do you walk around, I asked earlier, do you walk around with a song of praise to God in your heart? Well, we just saying, thank you, Lord. You can walk around with that in your heart. Or any other song that you want to sing. I love Just a Closer Walk With Thee. It's one of my favorites. But, we ought to have these songs in our hearts. True praise to God will reveal itself in vocal expression. It's going to come out. If it's in the heart, Jesus said in Matthew 15, he talked about the bad things that are in the heart. What? They come out through the mouth. Well, if praise is in our heart, it ought to come out through the mouth also. Amen. There's nothing wrong with being vocal in our praise for God. And right quickly, praise should be volitional. What does that mean? It's an act of the will. Look at the word. Let us. Let us, let us, three times in the first two verses, and then in verse 6 it says, let us, twice. What's that talking about? It's an exhortation to act out of somebody's own will. Don't feel forced to praise God unless you've just got so much praise for God in your heart. It's got to come out of your mouth. Amen. Let us come before His presence. Let us worship. Let us bow down. Let us kneel. And Psalm 100, if you want to turn over there, verse 5 tells us why. For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. That's why you ought to praise God. That's why it ought to be come right out of our will to praise God. And in fact, in this 95th Psalm, you look at verse 3, it says, For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Praise God! Worship God! Glorify God! Thank God! And when we consider all of these things that have been in this message, we ought to make a conscious rational decision that as a child of God I got no other choice but to praise and to glorify the name of God for the reality of who he is Amen. true praise looks at God recognizes his greatness remembers his blessings and burst forth from a soul that loves the Lord. Have you ever just had, God has worked so greatly in your life that you just couldn't keep quiet, that you just, I, I've got to call somebody, I've got to tell somebody. You know, that's the way somebody ought to be when they come to know Christ as Savior, right? Are you saved? Yes! <laughs> That's one of the reasons when somebody comes on a profession of faith, we say, okay, you, are you saved? And what did you do to be saved? We want them to know. We want them to confess, to, to be willing to say to everybody, look, I'm saved. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. You're a child of God. This lost world is all going, please understand how I'm saying this, this lost world is all going to hell one of these days. If you know Christ as Savior, you are not Praise the Lord. Thank Him today for who He is and for what He's done for you. He's God. He's entitled to it. And do it because you love Him. And then watch your praise life grow. Right? 
inclusion, we who are saved should thank and worship and praise God not only with our whole hearts, but folks, with our bodies. Praise Him with our eyes by looking only unto Him and only allowing our eyes to see that which is pure. Praise Him with our ears by listening to His voice. There's a lot of voices out there calling, calling our young people, calling everybody. There's a lot of voices calling. Learn to listen only to the voice of God. Praise Him with our hands by working in His service. Praise Him by our feet, by walking in the way of His statutes, just doing what He said to do. Praise Him with our tongue. Yes, speaking words of praise, but also using this tongue to witness of Jesus Christ. We use our tongues for a lot of things. We ought to use it to tell people about Jesus and praise Him with our heart by loving Him and Him only, loving Him above everything. Thanksgiving Day, as I said, is Thursday. And as we approach that day, I think it would be a good idea, or after this message this morning, I think it would be a good idea to ask this question. Is my praise life for God what it ought to be? Am I daily, am I regularly praising God? You know, just this past week, and I can't go into details, it was that unspoken prayer request that I mentioned the other day. God worked wonderfully, worked mightily. Things are better. And so, you know, just sometimes we can't say exactly what it is, but we can say, look, God worked. God worked. God blessed. God answered our prayers. Amen. And we thank Him for it. Oh, there are just so many reasons. So many reasons to praise God. And we live in a world that knows nothing about Him. We ought to let people see the Lord in our lives and praise God with our lives so that there is such a witness out there that Men, women, boys, and girls cannot refute that there's a God in heaven, and He is a great God, and He is a great King.